Welcome, thanks for tuning in, thanks for the stream or the download, however it is that you're listening to the show. I just wanted to let you know that I appreciate the fact that you tune in this week and maybe other weeks as well. Uh, If you're not already subscribed to the show, that's usually the best way to get it each and every week. You can find links to subscribe at comingupnext.com.au and you know I bring this show to you for free each and every week and the best way that you can support the show is by not only subscribing but also leaving a five-star rating and a review of the program which you can do at comingupnext.com.au via the itunes or stitcher or podbean links a big thanks to romy trower for last week's podcast ramble she came in to chat about her debut feature film nine years in the making what if it works and you can find that as well as all the uh, the other episodes at you got it coming up next.com.au this week uh, i'm joined by an old friend uh, josh glance who I hadn't seen for maybe, I want to say, eight or maybe even ten years. Um, We were at the same high school. We did a lot of plays together. And last I heard, he went off and became a lawyer. And then a couple of years ago, I saw he had a show at the comedy festival called I Got 99 Schnitzels and a Veal Ain't One. And I went and saw the show and it blew my socks off. And I've been following his uh, progress, I guess, from moving away from a career in law into a career in comedy and been completely humbled by a person who would put a pin in uh, a very stable and um, secure lifestyle to pursue their dreams, to follow their heart. So anyway, we, uh, as usual, get into that, get into all the usual stuff. We're going to get into it right now. challenging parts is always where do you begin the conversation Mm. whenever you're starting one of these podcasts Mm. i guess the advantage that we have is that there's already a pre-established history yeah whereas some people i speak to and i've never actually met them before yeah well that that could be a that could be an advantage because if you've never met them before then you can start you know who are you (laughs) you know yeah but i try and be clever you know like try and hook it in at some kind of on some interesting note sure trying to maybe i should you know who are you is that that, that's the question well we'll, we'll (laughs) Uh, i'm josh and uh and and we know each other from from school but um i i'm currently uh a a comic that does theatrical comedy um and i'm currently most involved in traveling on the circuit um, doing comedy, uh, and that's the fringe circuit, the fringe festival circuit that exists around the world. And, and, and I guess you can, you can, if you plan it well, travel the entire year performing your show at various fringe festivals. Um, and that's kind of um, the. That's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. It's kind of who you are. 
That's kind of who I am. It's maybe the first time that we can wrap up the podcast mm. within two minutes of starting it. That's good. That's, yeah. I'm very efficient. I finish all of my conversations with the same question. <laughs> no, we won't get to that yet. Now we can hook back into that in like 50-ish minutes. Great. Yeah. So you used to... I mean, we kind of have seen each other sporadically over the last couple of years. Mm. Before that, I don't think we'd really seen each other for probably about maybe eight or ten years. Yeah. And sort of between when I finished school and that next point where we would have seen each other, you went off to do a law degree. Yeah. And then put that on hold, put a pin in it, threw it away. Yeah. To pursue a career in comedy. Yeah. But I guess the kind of connection point for us was doing shows and things and, and drama together in high school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what feels like a million years ago now. Yeah, wow. But it was a very important, like it was a, it was a great, I, I remember having a lot of fun in those classes doing drama and theatre studies in year 11, 12, that the, the, the group... The, the, the you know the group of 10 or 15 of us that did that yeah had an incredibly great time yeah absolutely did you feel like because we we were at the same high school i i wasn't there for primary school so mm. i don't know what that experience was like but did you feel as though this was a school that really kind of nurtured creativity or did you feel as though you were being more pressured into doing more academically driven subjects what was, was kind of putting the teachers to a side more in terms of what you were feeling on a personal level? Um, I thought, well, I think Ellie was, was, was uh, our drama teacher was fantastic. I interviewed um, him actually on the show. Uh, I heard you did. I didn't hear the interview, but I heard that you <laughs> interviewed him. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think that it was, a school which pushed us to be creative. Um, there was certainly academic pressure, which I fell into. I don't know if that was coming from the school or from me. Or I, I mean, I remember I did theatre studies in year 11 with you and I had decided not to do drama in year 12. And then I remember the week before school started in year 12, I decided to do drama, which I... Um, you know, don't, don't regret and was, was a really great choice. Um, I, yeah, I always felt that I could creatively pursue different things at school. I mean, I guess I didn't have anything to compare it to. I don't know what it was like. I imagine there are some schools where there would have been less performing arts um, options, options, but there would have been some schools where it, you, that, that would have been pushed a bit more, maybe. Um, do, you, do you find it quite... I mean, uh, yeah, I did lots of plays at, 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 in primary school. There was always the option to do theatre every year. Yeah. Actually, Ellie told a story on the podcast um, about his first experience of putting on a show at Bialik, and I guess you were in year three or I was four in grade or something. Th I would have been in grade three. And, you were, and I think you were the lead in the show from memory. Yeah. And it was... Oh, I can't remember. He spoke was so fondly of this show. It, I think I think it might have been the Couch Potato Show. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. The Couch Potato Show. And each year, each class, each grade had like particular scenes. That's kind of how they structured the show is that 
uh, uh, grade three A, Miss Appleyard's class would kind of be one scene, and then another grade three class would be another scene, and but there would be some like through uh, line or something through line and some and and kind of five or six protagonists that would be reoccurring throughout the show. Yeah. Um, was that was that your first experience of? Performing, being on stage, being like a, being an actor, I guess. Um, no, much earlier on, um, much earlier on, my, I, I was performing from a very young age, and I would regularly put on shows for my family, very regularly. <laughs> it seems like such a Jewish thing to do. It it does. It, it, I th- I think it's such. I think. Look, I think that's how you know that you're a performer, mm. um, and 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 that and that's what's so interesting is because I was so obsessed with performing for so long, um, that it's so funny that for such a, a significant period of my life, in that ten year period that you spoke about, where we didn't really see each other, I wasn't performing. Yeah, you know, it, it, so I was so. I think for people that are performers, that are actors, that are comics, I think we really did get into it at like an incredibly young age. Like I was doing shows at at two or two or three, or you know, I remember. Yeah, there's a, there's a story of me as a as a six year old going up to the school psychiatrist <laughs> and asking for an appointment. Which I think was just so much more about me wanting to wanting attention yeah. and wanting to be seen, be seen, and and and, and be in front of an audience, yeah. Um, and yeah. So I, and I remember before school as well. My parents put me into like after school uh, theatre classes, where and they would kind of have recitals at the end of the semester. So that was my first kind of experience being on stage. Mm. Um, and then, and then when when school rolled around, um, and more formal productions, I would I would do that. Um, so I was already very I was very seasoned. But <laughs> You're well well invested. Yeah, doing Shakespeare at four. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Do you, was there a particular thing that you were drawn to? Do you remember? Obviously, it's not consciously at that age, mm. but was there? Yeah. Do you feel as though it was like? the being seen component or the entertaining component or the adrenaline rush, like there's just this kind of great. Hmm. I think it's, I mean, at the moment I really enjoy the devising, like the, 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 the process of writing a show um, as much as I enjoy performing, but that's something which didn't factor in back then. It was totally getting off on, on on attention it was it was wanting to be the center of attention mm. and it was wanting to it was that that look at me look at me i you know love me look at me i'm great i'm funny i'm you know talk about me yeah that that as a kid is total i think totally the what wanting to wanting to be yeah Wanting to be a macha in in that in that sense, but not in the sense of. No, you want to have uh, 
you want to have that kind of adoration or you want to have your moment you want to be um i guess the center of attention like you say yeah i think it's wanting to be it's just being so, i mean i was an incredible attention seeker um i just wanted i i just wanted to be you know i had, I had a lot of shtick and just wanted to <laughs> constantly be um talked about and looked at yeah <laughs> which is so fucked which is you know it's just it's <laughs> It's it's an incredibly... Oh, it's very uh, it's, egocentric. It's egocentric. I think it's a really in- crucial part of being a performer, you know. And it's not like I'm like that. You know, I, I'm, I'm someone that really enjoys being alone. I really need my own company. I don't tend to, you know... I'm not a partier. I, 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 you know, sure, I have fun, but I, I, don't, I don't tend to... Um, you know, I'll leave the party when I've had enough. Which is, you, know, you don't live for the weekend. I don't live for the weekend. You know, I really need time by myself. I'm not someone that's that's craving attention in in constantly, but I, I think that that drive as a kid, wanting to perform, seeing moments to perform, like moments to make people stop and laugh and look at you, is, is what I was attracted to. Yeah. My first memory of you as a performer would be when we did Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think that was the first year Uh, I was at Bialik and you were Mike TV. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Emma directed that, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm trying to... Was it at Stonic? Was it at the... I, I, what do you know? What year, what year level was that? Oh, that's that like a 96. senior school production. No, nah, it was like a primary school production. Primary school, I think. like grade six or seven or something. Yeah, it was ninety six. Yeah, I was in grade six. Okay, right. That's how I remember what year I was in. Whatever the last number of the year was. Nice. <laughs> that's very. Uh, that's a good. Way, that's a good way to remember. <laughs> Jesse was Charlie. Is that right? Jesse was. The Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Joe, yeah. Who was Charlie? Who was Charlie? Was he definitely Grandpa? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. Re- I mean, just, I, Jesse would always get cast as the old man. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because in grade two, the year before Ellie came, the the the, the production that the grade two and three production, yeah, was Ch- Ch- uh, Charlie in the Huller Factory or something like that. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. So I was, and I was Grandpa Joe in that. Right. Um, and the two kind of, I, I don't, yeah, I don't have, I don't have strong memories of, of that production. Willy Wonka. Of the Willy Wonka yeah. one. Yeah. I was an Oompa Loompa. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't have, were you in Circus Bialicus as well? No, I think I was. Because that was primary school, I think, wasn't it? I don't. Oh. No, I can't. I wasn't in that. No. The the, the, the most the, the the strongest memory I have of performing with you is Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that was. I mean, I, yeah, that was uh, something that I was given to really sink my teeth into as well. Mm. Um, even though it was. It was just like a seven-minute monologue or something, really, from memory. And then we had a scene together. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, that was like that was almost like a watershed kind of moment for me. Yeah, I think in terms of devising something, putting it like with Ellie and putting it on, and like having that kind of center of attention moment. Mm. Um, and working with you know really great people. I think at the time you're not really aware of how how much fun you're having in a collaborative sense. Oh yeah. Kind of get swept up in yeah the day to day realities of being at school and doing a, a production. <laughs> but I mean if you think about some of the people that we worked with in that it's it's you know, it's cool to reflect well, on. Well the view that I had, I think at the time <laughs> which is so funny to think like it's it's almost embarrassing to think about. But I thought that we were putting on the greatest production yeah. any school had ever done. Yeah. I th- I thought that well, we Well you were the lead. So I thought I well, you, you had to carry the ship. Well it was it was I, I think I think I was typically typecast for that. Like I right. think uh, you know As Seymour uh, Seymour Crowborn. I'm a huge I mean I'm still a huge fan of the musical. I think my neu- neurotic uh Jewishness just kind of uh <laughs> lent me to, to to get that role. But I but I thought everyone in it was just incredibly talented and I thought yeah. I really as a I was in great year 10 and so I'm like 15 or 16 and 15 I think and I yeah I remember thinking we this is this is is you know not far off from a professional production, yeah. and I've I've since seen the video footage. Yeah, is it good? It's well, it's not a professional production in, in, in any in any stretch of the imagination. But but Ellie, but it was Ellie good. allowed us to believe that what yeah. we were doing yeah. was uh, incredible, and for what it was, it probably was incredible. I think it was. I think it was pretty incredible. But he he instilled that kind of belief in us. I yeah. think. You know, you hear always in kind of creative industries a lot of people saying there was this one teacher at school and it's extraordinary to see someone like Ellie who's had this kind of effect on so Mm. many of us in that kind of period of time, I think. I think because he he took it seriously. Yeah. But he he also made it fun. He also made it fun. But he approached that production... Not like, and I think that's the point. He's not. He was never like. This is a school production. Yeah. He, it was first and foremost a production of Little Shop of Horrors that happened to be cast by fifteen-year-olds. <laughs> <15 laughs> um, I think that's what his approach to it was, and that I think that professionalism, kind of. Um, uh, f- uh, uh, came through to us, I th- and uh, yeah, I think I remember being fe- really. Fe- I, I mean, it was we, we we had you know very strict rehearsal schedules on the weekend and after school. Um, the, you know, we we were taught how to block and 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 perform in a really. Prof- it felt quite professional. Mm. You know, you had the stage manager sitting there. Um, with the script, um, who was in the rehearsal studio, were in the, in the rehearsal process as part of it. It, it. There was a real sense that what we were doing was professional, even yeah. though I think standing back, it, it it clearly wasn't. But but we we approached it like it was. Yeah, and that's you know that's probably set 
us in good stead in terms of the education that we we received around that. I mean, I remember finishing school and going to do uh, a year of a drama degree at an unnamed institution (laughs) and just feeling like, I feel like I'm in year 10 drama. Like I felt like so ahead of their curriculum in terms of my knowledge and the sophistication with which I understood stagecraft Mm. thanks to the education I got from Ellie Mm. and I guess the way that he kind of empowered us to work in really professional ways Mm. that it was just like wow this is this is not useful for me at all Mm. yeah well I think we were very we're all incredibly lucky to have to have a teacher like that you know, fuel our love of making theatre and, and really challenge us. Mm. He was really good at challenging us. I remember in the solo device stuff I did for year 12, theatre studies and 12 drama, you know, I really obsessed over that process. Yeah. I really obsessed over it. I loved that process. Yeah, I remember I, I was Peter Allen and I remember getting all this old footage of Peter Allen being interviewed in the early 70s which was where my character was was placed and I would just you know rigorously watch that to get his accent and and I was fixated on 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 all aspects of it you know it's it's funny to think about now I haven't thought about that process for a long time (laughs) because now I'm doing the same type of devising work yeah yeah and I guess I hadn't devised since that time and um, and I approach it. I I kind of approach it the same way. I was you know with with like a, an absolute pursuit of perfectionism to the point that it's sometimes not that good. You know, you've got to compromise on some things. Well, also perfection is an unattainable yes goal. It is. It is. Do you say it is or it isn't? It is. It is. Yeah. 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 But you want to do something. Putting aside the, the concept of perfection, you want to do something that you're that where you're happy with it, mm. where it where it where you're satisfied that it's good enough, and 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 that's the pursuit, and we all have different degrees of that, um, and yeah, I, I I mean that's that's what's tough because because that's the question: is it good enough? It might be good enough for other people, but sometimes, but a lot of the time, it's not good enough for me. And I want to do it so it is good enough for me. But sometimes you do compromise it. I mean, there's things in my show where you just the practicalities of putting on a show is I, I, I in my current show there was a prop that I introduced for the Melbourne Comedy Festival run, but the prop wasn't there for the previous runs. I had the idea. I know I wanted to do it. I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have the time or the effort to be able to make that prop or deal with that prop. And 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 that was okay. I had to accept that I wasn't going to have it for, you know, 40 shows. Yeah. So why why did you go to law school? What was the was the pressure from your parents? Was it like you thought that's what you should do? I really had a chip on my shoulder about my intelligence. And I really had to prove it to other people and to myself. And um, I had to get an external... um, I had to get like external... 
collateral or, or currency to be able to prove that. And, and, and I, and I, I got a lot of benefit because I, I did prove it to myself. You know, I, I feel I was, I was, I, I did not have confidence in my abilities um, when I finished school. And I did not think I was as smart as I now think I am. <laughs> which, which, would, I'm not saying that. I understand. What I, 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 I'm not saying that in, in like, I don't, I don't think I'm a genius by any means, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in, in what I can and what I can't do. Mm. And, and I think I was very, oh yeah, I was very insecure about my intelligence. I did not think, I, and I had a massive chip on my shoulder to prove it, to prove it to me and myself. I really wanted to achieve it and be like, see, I told you I could do it. Um, yeah, and, and there was just no option for me doing theatre or drama. I mean, I ended up doing creative arts, law, it's a double degree. But I did not take the creative arts seriously. And I did film studies mostly in the creative arts. I did not do theatre um, because I wasn't interested in it. I was... I, th- I fantasised, I, you know, I, I flirted with the idea of doing film, you know. I think I think it's... You can kind of go down any route. It's just you go down the route of the one that you end up going down, you know, like... but Which I guess... You know, because there was a period of time where I was really interested in film. Um, and I did filmmaking stuff at Creative Arts. Practical filmmaking stuff and also film theory. But it just didn't stick. Um, I, I guess I just didn't have the the drive. Well, I didn't have the drive to pursue performing at that stage at all or, or, or creative things. The drive I had was to be like, to get into a... a a, a, a really good law firm and become a really and, and excel at my career. That was the drive I had. Did you do that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did do that. Maybe that's why I could then put it to bed. Yeah. So you practiced as a lawyer. I practiced as a lawyer for about five years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did that, and then I and then I I really wanted to be a barrister, and um, I wanted to, an associateship with a judge which is a, a, a really excellent um, opportunity for someone wanting to be a barrister because you really get trained in, in what it's like to be in the court and, and you get great experience working with the judge. And, and it's quite prestigious and it's, it's, you know, it's hard to get. And I tried to get one for a year. I was, I was going for interviews and, and none of them worked. And... Um, and I re- and I resigned from my job as a lawyer, without having an associateship. And then I got and then I got an associateship with a great judge who, who was really f- fantastic to work with. And and and, um, and I did that for two years. And and the flexibility of that job, is what allowed me to be able to pursue performing more regularly. So, f- yeah. So he took a sabbatical one year. Which gave me four months holiday, hmm. and 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 one of the things I did in that four months was to go to France and do my first ever formal theatre training, which was like in clowning at a school called uh, Ecole Philippe Goliere, um, which is which is famous, which is pretty famous now, 
It's where Sasha Baron Cohen went, where Emma Thompson went. It's where a lot of people study clowning on this festival circuit that kind of do that type of performing. Um, but I, but I, before that, had gotten into theatre and I, I'd, I'd started. Well, yeah, I was, I was working as a lawyer and a friend of, and and there were a group of lawyers that decided to put on a comedy review as part of the comedy festival. And I decided to do that. And that was my first time stepping back into performing after like a 10-year hiatus. Yeah, right. And, and I did that in 2013. Must have been pretty nerve-wracking getting back on stage. It was... Um, oh, it was great. It was... <laughs> it was... It was... It was... It was incredible. I was reminded about how much... I love performing <laughs> and and thinking that I and remembering that I was funny you know re- like being in an environment where you get to perform and people laugh and it's like oh yeah this is yeah I'd forgotten a lot of the performing that I did as, as in I, I've, I've forgotten a lot of the shtick that I used to do the characters and and it, and it allowed me to kind of tap into that again yeah I kind of have a similar sense in that for the last however many years I've been pursuing a career in in film as a filmmaker without doing any performing really and I keep kind of flirting in my mind with the idea of oh maybe I'll go and do an improv class or maybe I'll actually a few years ago I was going to do a play and then I moved to London instead Mm. and the play never happened Mm. and that was kind of that was really the last time I even contemplated the idea of performing but it feels i'm like there's something in my body that feels like uh, if i was to step back on stage there's something that's not missing but it's almost like a muscle memory like if you don't ride a bike for years and years and years and then you get back on a bike and you're like oh this is what it's like to you know to glide down a hill Mm. with the kind of with the wind blowing through your hair and Mm. I wonder if that's what it would be like to step back on stage again. I think it would be. Mm. Yeah, I think it would be. Because, you know, if that gliding down the hill is, is, is the adrenaline rush that happens when you're about to go on stage, and then the the satisfaction and the ease that washes over you as a moment lands or is received well, you know, that's 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 a consistent feeling that, that is going to always be there as a perform. You know that that's that's what that's what it's that's what's performing. You know yeah. that's what it is. That stuff, those feelings, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I definitely remember feeling that stuff, being like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, that's right. We get to, oh yeah, this is great. Like a drug, totally. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot. I love this shit. <laughs> so." So that was like 2013. I saw your show, 99 Schnitzels. 2015. 2015. Mm-hmm. So from 2013 to 2015, what was the process like of developing this show or deciding that you were going to start pursuing comedy and put a show on at the mm. comedy festival? Um, so I did this sketch review show in 2013 with a bunch of people and that, reminded me about the process that I love and about writing comedy and then I did I was involved again in 2014 with a similar group of people doing the same type of show 
And after 2014, I, um, I, I kind of just wanted to do, I think, I think I didn't like, I, I liked collaborating, but I also, there are parts of the show that I didn't like, you know, that, that, that wasn't my brand or my style or, of comedy. And I kind of wanted to be like, what happens if I do a show where I get to decide everything that's in the show? <laughs> and and I thought, I guess it's that thing of wanting to be the center of attention again. You know, it's like, I want to... <laughs> I sound like an egotistical <laughs> maniac. <laughs> Any um, creative probably is. Well, I think ugh, there's a part of us that kind of have to be. you got to be so... Well, You've if you're the, if you're a kind of control freak and you're kind of, I think pushing your own career forward, you you have yeah. to be your own biggest advocate. Yeah, really, that's it. Well, that's the only career progression I have is the one that I create. There's no, you know, there's there's no. I'm not employed to in a role that then, if I hit certain targets, will promote me. Mm. It's. It's it's entirely carved out by me, and what I need to do. Man, you must be your your day to day life in two thousand and eighteen must be like chalk and cheese compared to your day to day life in two thousand and twelve. Oh, completely, absolutely, completely. Um. Oh yeah, it's 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 strange to think about. I posted something on Facebook yesterday. And it's had a big response, and I did not anticipate the response that it would have. And I, um, I recently did a, a, a show. I'll, 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 um, uh, I'll bookmark that question about what happened between <laughs> 2013, 2015. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a pin in it and we'll, come back. We'll put a pin in it. Um, I, I did, I did a season in Perth this year, and the venue that I did it with uh, stole a lot of money from the artists, and I have, and I've now not been paid my ticket sales and and it's a lot of money and I worked incredibly hard and I found out about that two weeks ago and that's got me down I, I I've moved on but but yesterday I was I, I've been doing a lot of touring this year a lot of and 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 the rigor of touring is 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 so hard but so great because you yeah you wake up and you take care of yourself and then you go and do a big show and the same repeats for like 20 days and then you've got like five days break and then you go to another festival and you do the same thing and and I've been doing that from from the end of January until last week so I've been on tour for about you know three and a half months or something yeah wow um and 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 so now I'm in that period where I'm not on tour and that's when you start to um that's that's when you start to feel a bit vulnerable to the other voices in your head that are saying, get a real job. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're not married like all your friends because you're touring and doing shows. It's raining outside and you're cold because you live in a share house of no heating. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, they crop up. Because one of the things I wanted to do this year was tour as much as possible, so they didn't crop up. Because when I when I'm touring, I'm working, and that's the only work I know how to. That's how I know how to work as an artist. 
is to tour my own show, is to make my own shows and to tour my own shows. And slowly I'm starting to like audition for different things and get and get into that world, but nothing's come of it yet. But 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 slowly that stuff is starting to happen. But essentially the way I know how to work as a performer is to make my own shows and then tour them at fringe festivals. Mm. Um which isn't sustainable. It's not something I don't think I mean, I don't think I want to be doing I mean, I already have conflicts about it now, so I don't anticipate it's going to be something that I want to do when I'm forty five, fifty. Um but it's kind of what I need to do now. So I was I was having a moment in in this period of time where I'm not, where I'm not, um, uh, where I'm not performing, um, and I'm busy. I've got things to do. Like I'm I'm getting ready. For, I'm about to go on tour for another three months. So there's a lot of producing work which I need to do in relation to that. Um, but then yeah, I saw a I saw a Facebook post of someone that was living as an artist for a long time, and uh, and 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 and. and Facebook had shown me that they were doing very interesting things and I and I valued them as an artist. I thought they had talent and they were good. And then recently they became a associate in, in the Supreme Court where, where I used to work about a year or two ago and I saw that and I'm like, okay, you know. So they've almost gone the other way. They've too. almost gone the other way. And then, and then what happened is I saw a picture of them as a barrister, like becoming a barrister. And I just was like, and I was just hit with this, and 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 they were there with their family, and the picture, and the mom looks so proud of of you know what I fantasize is her son who had been dabbling in this shitty art world and had finally <laughs> come back to a proper profession. You know, just the nuchus that 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 came that they were just so proud of their son who'd finally, you know put it to bed yielded to the rat race yielded to the rat race and um i don't want to put those people i'm not trying to put those people down it's not you know oh, everyone's got to do what's good for them and you know yeah so i was just i was just hit with this am i really doing this it was like am i really compromising on these things that i want in life that i'm not getting because this is something that I want. And I and, and those things in life that I'm not getting is financial stability, is a partner, because I don't I find it very difficult to date living the life that I'm currently living. For a number of reasons. One, because I'm moving around. Two, because I'm constantly thinking about my work and my career and it doesn't really make me a very good partner. Um because I, I need to, I feel like I need to focus on that at the moment. So I comp I feel like I compromise on that. <laughs> um, and and no, I can I, relate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I just was struck with this moment of, am I really doing this? You know, am I really going to try and, and do this? You know, do I, yeah. And, 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 and I posted about it on Facebook and overwhelmingly people, I, a lot of people seem to interpret it as me going, I'm going to quit, which I don't, I, di- I didn't want it to have that effect, but I just, I just posted how I was feeling and, um, and then, and then real, like an incredible amount of comments came in saying, keep going, don't quit. You know, you've got to do this. This is something which you've got to do. And I know that, I know that the reason why I'm pursuing it is because 
I, I'd reg- I know that I'd regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't. And I just didn't, I know that I'd, you know, I didn't want to, I'd kill myself, you know, like I could see myself having a mental breakdown as like a 50 year old and killing my, my kids and wife and, and, you know, like, look what you made me do. And just, you know, I just, I feel less than ideal. Yeah. I just feel, I could just see that happening. Yeah. Cause, cause it was the moments of that happening from when, you know, moments of, of, of this, 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 I used to see theatre and I used to feel so upset. I used to sit there and I watched it and it was beautiful and I loved it and I'd, I'd, I'd see musicals and plays or shows, people doing solo shows and I'd go, oh, I, why, why, I want that. And that was always angsty and now I don't feel that. Mm. I think that, you know, there are, there are compromises. Like you're saying, you, you're making certain compromises, but because there's one compromise that you can't make, which mm. is to honor your artistic self at this point in your life anyway. Yeah. I often feel at this current juncture where I feel like I've kind of built up a head of steam and I'm working consistently that I'm grateful for the fact that I have never had a secure income and I have never had stability because I went from school into mm. studying and had support from my parents to a certain extent and then up to a point, you know, was just kind of doing what I could, living hand to mouth and kind of scrapping by because I've never known any different. Mm. But I could imagine <laughs> that it's probably actually harder when you've had that security blanket and you know what it's like to have a whatever, however many zero uh, per annum income mm. with all of your um, leave and mm. superannuation and whatnot to actually go cut the cord and dive off into the deep end of something that has none of that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean... Yeah, the flip side is that I also know the the difficulties that come with waking up every day and commuting and being involved in a in a corporate culture, um, and what that's like. Well, the cost of your happiness, really. The cost of your happiness. I mean, it, it's always, it's so interesting because I I didn't hate law at all. I loved. There's a lot about law that I loved. I found it incredibly stim. Crea- I found it creatively satisfying. Law, you know, I was, I was a good lawyer because I was creative, um, and I enjoyed it. I loved. I loved. It's very analytical. It's, you know, you really, if you love thinking, it's a great job. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there, there's something. Yeah, it's really nice to get a wage. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. It's so lovely to know that there is going to be money deposited into your account. And and particularly because I was living a life of an early 20-year-old with no obligations, I just was having... I was having the time of my life. I was, you know, I, I love... I, I was riding to work and I'd go out at night, every night, you know, have have go go to the pub, have a meal, have drinks, 
I really, I, I was, the first time I was an adult, you know, and it was, I loved being completely financially independent from my mom, which was a really important thing for me. It, yeah, I, I was, I, I was such an adult. I lived, moved out, living out of home. Uh, it was fantastic. It was so good. And, and I guess the difficulty that comes now is that, you know, you know, I, 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 I mentioned to my mom that I have lost a lot of money as a result of Perth. And there's that, oh, do you need financial help? And it's like, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, oh, who wants to get financial help at our age? Yeah. God. Yeah, it's a fucking bummer. <laughs> it's a bummer. But, yeah, it's kind of, there's kind of like a, this, I guess this could come out sounding bad, but there's also something in the, um, you know, taking the help that you can get because not everyone's in the position to be able to get that. I know. We're, we're very lucky. I'm, I'm lucky that my mom can turn around and say, uh, do you need some money to be able to pay to go to Edinburgh? Mm. Um, and then you can make the choice. And then I can make the choice. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I make the strong choice and sometimes I don't. Yeah, it's funny how much that kind of can contribute to one's self-esteem. Yeah, well, a part of me in wanting to move to London is is to also get away from that. Um, and 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 I don't live at home now, and I live on the other side of town to my mum. But there's still, I think, a bit of a crutch being in in the same city. Um. Did you find that in moving overseas? Yeah, absolutely. That you were able to... Well, I felt to an extent like I'd done that before I moved to London. But moving to London definitely uh, amplified it, for sure. And there's so much more opportunity over there for creatives, for creative industries, I feel. Mm. Certainly someone who was in my position and situation i found it to be beneficial in a family sense in a financial sense in a creative sense uh but i didn't feel like i was moving over because i didn't want to be in melbourne it just mm. felt like i'd uh it felt like there were better opportunities for me yeah. elsewhere yeah i feel the same way that I, I i i i very much feel the same way um i love melbourne in many ways i don't want to go but i feel like I kind of need to. Um, I mean, it's good to get out of your comfort zone for sure. Yeah. Especially if you're writing or performing. It's kind of mm. where you find your edges and where you push yeah. those thresholds and that's how you create better work, I think. Interesting. It's really interesting because I'm I'm now contemplating what I'm going to do next year. And if I am going to do the circuit that I'm doing this year again, and if I am, then I need to do a new show. And then it becomes the question of well, where do I write that show? Do I write it in Melbourne, or do I write it in London over you know September, October, November, December, that four month period? Yeah. Um, and I was worried about doing it in London because I've got connections here, I've got collaborative connections, and I've got resources. You know, if I needed to get a prop made, I could go and find that. It's just harder when you're in a foreign city. Yeah, but that's like, where the graft comes in. That's where the the graft. 
Mm. What do you mean by that? Like the the hustle, the, the, the hustle, yeah, the clawing and the scratching and the mm. tenacious kind of endeavor, like mm. you know, using your resources and using what you can, you know, what you can find to make things work. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I definitely think it's worth pursuing. You think it pushes you creatively more? Absolutely. I produced a short film which I also wrote and directed in London about 12 months ago. Yeah. And I'd been working in London for about 12 months at that point, crewing on film. So I had a kind of base of a Rolodex. Mm. But I mean, there were some things that I was just like, how the fuck am I going to make this happen? And I tried to find someone to help me produce it and I couldn't. So I just ended (laughs) up doing it myself. And it's like, okay, just going to have to, yeah, just going to have to make it work. (laughs) I, I I know that feeling of I need this thing I need this skill set or this particular thing I, I need someone to do this I need this thing to happen, be done and then just not being able to find someone and then just taking a breath and going all right yeah. looks like I'm doing it yeah in for a penny in for a pound yeah as they say in London so 99 schnitzels <laughs> yeah back to that question yeah that was your first show because we're starting to get into your third show now, which you haven't even written. Yeah. Um, but fourth, the fourth show. Sorry. Yeah. We're about to talk about your fourth show, which you haven't even I haven't written. Written. Um, um, but ninety nine schnitzel. Yeah, that was my yeah my first show. First show. What was the process of? I mean, because it's so. When I saw it, I, I was like, "This is this is glance. Like this is what I remember ah, him being." That's really. Interesting. But kind of you know a ten year like a more like an adult version of what I remembered seeing and then kind of expanded upon. But it's, it was kind of so fresh in the comedy that I had been seeing around that, you know, the, the silliness and the absurdity and the kind of stagecraft. Um, I'm really excited for you to see my current show in London. Yeah. Are you doing it in London? Yeah. yeah, I'm doing a few, a few runs in London. When are you going to be there? In July. Excellent. Yes. Anyway, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I kind of just leaving an open-ended statement yeah. for you yeah. to fill in. But, you know, so what was the process of going, no, I'm going to do my own show hmm. um, and I'm going to do things my way and I'm going to, yeah, do it the way that I want. I saw a show by a guy called Steen Raskopoulos who, is, who lives in London. Um, and he's a he's a he's a performer that came from an improv background, and he did a one man sketch show. And after seeing that, I understood how I could do what I had just been doing in two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, with an ensemble by myself. So I saw someone do a show that I understood I could do. Um, and then and then I went about approaching it in the same way that I'd learned to write from 2013, 2014, which was have a pitch, have an idea of a character. And then I just played and just, and just, and just had different and just wrote sketches. Um, And then I wrote sketches and then, and then it developed and then there were callbacks and then eventually the structure took shape and, and, and the show was made, but I had no idea what I was doing. When I look back it's so funny. I mean, it's not so long ago. It's 2015 to now 2018. It's exactly um, three years since 
I've only been doing this for three years, um, which is not a lot of time. But you're already doing it full time. I'm doing it full time now. Um, it's pretty incredible, actually. Yeah. To have that kind of turnaround. I mean, I think it's different starting at... But I'm cheating because I'm doing my own shows and I'm touring. So that's the only reason why I'm doing it full time. If I wasn't touring, then I wouldn't be able to do it full time because I, I wouldn't have things to occupy my day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you're making a life doing it is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. That's what I mean by saying you're doing it full time three years in, which is impressive because some people, it takes them 10 years to kind of cut the other cords, so to speak, to mm. go young. This this is my life now. This is my career and this is what I'm going to be pursuing with as much of my time as possible. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think because I'm coming at it later in life, there's, there's definitely a hunger to want to succeed quite fast because I look at my contemporaries who have already achieved a huge amount of success in their careers and I want that as well. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it was, an, it was a really... But yeah, I, I remember looking at footage of that show that you saw downstairs in the butterfly club is yeah. that right yeah yeah yeah. 30 seat room it's nice to think about because i look at that and think i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> well but like you know it's me. still it's still okay but like yeah. you know i mean it was a great show oh thanks man like i my expectations were so neutral because i was just like oh josh is i thought josh was a lawyer yeah and suddenly i'm going to your show in the comedy festival so it was like th there was this kind of great surprise and all, like I was saying, not, not sense of nostalgia, but it was like, ah, oh, yeah, here he is. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. Well, it's, it was nice to do. Anyway, I'm it, blowing your trumpet, but. No, no, it was, it was, it was it's, it's nice that, because I think a lot of people, a lot of my f historical friends, people that knew me at school and knew what I was like at school, saw that show and was like, yeah, that's Glance. Yeah. You know, I remember my housemates at the time who were a bunch of uh, uh, Jewish boys from Bialik um, well, I left the show going, yeah, it's just like, it's just, it's what it's, 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 it's just like living with him. <laughs> Which is... Which is nice. Well, how would you describe what your comedy styling is? Because oh. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have no idea what we're talking about. We're just kind of speaking esoterically. I do. I do. It's like a, it's a bit of a mashup of, I do char I do characters. Um, so there's like quite a strongly formed characters, but then... I also do just very absurd, surreal bits. Um, that and 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 there's a lot of use of music, and a lot of physicality, um, and it's kind of like, yeah, a, a bit of a mashup of sketch, character, clown type type stuff. It's just, I don't know. It's just kind of. 
it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's it's, char- it's characters, <laughs> but it's um, but it's surprising. I love surprising comedy. I love writing surprising comedy. You know, it's always, I always. I always feel that in my show, people don't know what's happening or where it's going. And I think, I think, I think that's true. You know, certainly in my, in my, my later show, I think you can watch. Yeah. I, I think the audience is generally going, is this part of the show? Is he just making it up? What is about to happen? What is actually currently happening? That's great. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because, because that's what I like to watch. Yeah. That's that kind of, uh, that stagecraft, I guess, that almost goes back to when we were in year 11 and 12, that kind of Brechtian idea of mm. the suspension of disbelief and how far can you push that. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love, I love, you enter into the space and everything's up for grabs. Nothing in that space is real. It's it's all fiction, yet at the same time, and then and then because of that you can you can fuck with it, and you can say like this is a truth, and then say no it's not that's not a truth this is actually the truth but then that doesn't need to be the truth either but then underneath all of that can be real truth, you know, like I talk a lot about some of this stuff in my show. But I also talk a lot of shit. <laughs> and audiences don't know what is and what isn't true. Yeah. I love the way that I start my current show. That's brilliant. It's so... It's just... It's it's just... Yeah, I love I love leading people down. I do, it, 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 you know what? It is. I do it in so much of my, my normal day-to-day life. I, I, you know, I talk so much shit. And really try and get people to that point of believing me. And then I go, nah, I'm lying. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I remember telling my mom that I was dating a 45-year-old woman. <laughs> but just the way you do it, you know, just sitting yeah. there and, you know, like, oh, I went on a date, you know. And, and like how, how you do how you make that authentic, you know. Yeah, you got to set up the framework of the lie i guess or the, exactly. the fucking with exactly. in order to kind of nail it exactly um yeah we, i made a, a another short a couple of years ago for trop fest and it kind of similar sort of like p- fucking with people's expectations of convention and because most audiences are so sophisticated these days it's like you can almost map out, most people can now map out, I guess, particularly in film, mm. how they think something's going to play out, if they think there's going to be a twist, what the ending is likely to be. Mm. And that's great. But when you can kind of fuck with that convention, mm. it's even better, I think. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's. I, I mean, that's that's what I love seeing. I love... I, I love just sitting there watching something going what is happening yeah so (laughs) what was the process of evolving your style then from the first show to the second show then into the third show well the second show i did was completely different to the schnitzel show Mm. so the schnitzel show (laughs) was um (laughs) different characters fast-paced one-man sketch show it was lights up sketch lights down lights up sketch lights down 
one or two moments of Josh coming out of it and talking to the audience, but not too many. The second show, I wanted to do one character, and I wanted to do be that character for the entire show. Oh, wow. And that's what I did. It was a show called Man Fuel, and I played a character called Dickie Rosenthal, who was uh, like a scrawny Jewish guy that was trying to be a beefcake, trying to... And he wore a muscle suit. <laughs> which, well, that, that's another thing. Like I, which he reveals at the end of the show is only a muscle suit. But it, people, but you begin the show inviting people into the reality that that's, that I'm not, it's not the character wearing a muscle suit. The character is muscly and Josh Glantz, the, the creator, has devised a costume to be able to signify that. But no, the character <laughs> is a scrawny, hairy Jewish guy who's wearing a muscle suit which you reveal at the end. And it's like, you know, I, there's this moment where I go, in, as the character who had this like kind of lisp, I'm like, this isn't even my real body. This is a muscle suit. And everyone just laughs because of course it is. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, they've bought into the reality. Because they've bought into the reality that it's his body. Yeah. Because he's he sells that reality. Um, so that was a very different experience writing that show. It was hard. It was a really hard show to perform. It um, Some people really liked it and some people really didn't um, <laughs> because it was different to schnitzels. Right. Um, and it had a story. It had a beginning, middle, and an end. It was satisfying from that perspective. You know... The, the 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 concept was it was a launch for a protein supplement. So the audience came in and this character was launching this protein supplement which he created. And as the launch um, is, is played out, his bravado unravels when certain things don't go his way. And eventually he... Um, eventually he shits his pants and takes <laughs> off the muscle suit and is standing there you know, in in soiled underwear <laughs> telling people that it's all bullshit. Yeah. And it's really, it's, it's nice to think about like that. And and I had a great time doing the show in Edinburgh, but I had a miserable time doing the show at Melbourne Comedy Festival last right. year. Um, I learned a lot last year doing that show. That was an important... Is this still on? Yeah. I learned a, I learned a lot. Um, <laughs> I thought I pressed the button. No. Okay. All good. Um, Uh, Yeah, I learned a lot doing... I learned a lot about performing doing that show because I learned... What what were the challenges at at the Mikif? I... It was a tough room. The the space that I was in was tough. But I became very rigid and I became... The show did really well in Adelaide. It won an award and then was nominated for the overall comedy award and there was a bit of hype and pressure and I think being a young comic I didn't know how to deal with that and I let the pressure get to me and then I cared too much about doing a good show and there's nothing worse than caring you know wanting to be funny is the um, 
enemy of a good comedy show. You need to go out there not giving a shit about whether you're funny or not, but you need to go out there going, I'm going to be doing what I love, and I love it. Mm, playing the, the truth of the the piece or whatever that is. Yeah. I, I, it made me think a lot about what we what we like. I thought a lot last year about what what do we want from a show, what works. Because it was just so interesting doing the same show at Melbourne and it bombing every night. I mean, people liked it, but I, what, what, the element was that I had no joy in doing the show and no one wants to see someone on stage not having fun. And I think principally, at the end of the day, all the writing and good ideas, we just want to see someone on stage having a ball and and doing what they love. And then it is so great to watch. Yeah, that that, that was the gift of Robin Williams, for example. You know, yeah. Every time the man was in front of a camera or on stage, he looked like he was having the time of his life entertaining oh, people. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's so it's so important. And when a show isn't working, I think it often comes down to that element was missing. Um yeah, I went out every night during Melbourne Comedy Festival and was and was hating the show. And then you know, you have tough shows and then you work out how to deal with that. Um so, so that was a very different show to the Schnitzel show because it was yeah one character and then a story, and it was also personal because the Schnitzel show wasn't personal. So, I worked a little bit with a director who helped me become help help me get in touch with what I wanted to say about the show and do some homework. So it became kind of personal about my identity as a as as a masculine Jewish guy. Um. And then by the time I wrote the third show, Karma, which is what I'm currently touring, that was just me, the principle that went into... It was the easiest show to write creatively, and I think it's my best show, um, because I wrote it with the principle of, I'm just going to do whatever I want. <laughs> I don't care about... I wanted it to have a some kind of through line, which exists, but it's probably the most problematic aspect of the show. Right. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I just, I just went back to doing a Schitzel's again because that's kind of what I love. Yeah, found the joy. Found the joy. Found the joy in just not in just doing, you know. Oh yeah, I mean the show's evolved and it's become a lot slicker than it initially started out as. But when it started out, it was just, I'm going to do this now, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to sing, and I'm going to do this. And it was just so much fun. It was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing it in uh, in London in July. Um, man, the time is, uh, has, has flown by. I'm really... Oh, there's uh, so much more we could talk about. I know. I know, but uh, we'll we'll do a part two when you come to London. Oh, that'd be great. Um, backstage or something, just yeah, that, to just to amp up your nerves a bit more. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, thank you for uh, for your time. I do uh, end all of my conversations with the same question, as I prefaced all of this with. The question is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that came to my head was my hairy body. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
don't, that doesn't really answer the question though. What makes me silly? Um, oh, we're all we're all idiots. We're all we're all like that's that's the fundamental thing. All humans are idiots, and we don't have to do much to be. And we 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 we, we try a lot to not be silly and to not be idiots and we and we really uh, yeah try not to be that way but sometimes by trying not to be that way we're even more idiots but uh, so what w- what is it that makes me silly is it's just it's me it's not it's <laughs> i the answer is nothing by being born i'm an idiot Acquiescing to the silly. Acquiescing to the silly. Being okay with just being an idiot. It's the best thing. It's what I love about clowning. Is that someone comes out as a clown that doesn't... You don't perform as a clown. You're not doing a character. You're being you. You're wanting to show the audience your idiocy. Your pure, beautiful idiocy. We're all fucking beautiful, stupid people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That may be like the most well thought out uh, <laughs> response to that question. Although I did interview a Chabad rabbi oh. and his uh, response to what makes you silly was profound. What did he say? You have to go and I listen, have to, to, listen it. to it. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going to go and acquiesce to something else now. Excellent. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Al.